those of you tuning in online this morning. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard this song before, but if not, um, this song is it's based off of a passage in Hebrews 10, um, where it talks about the outcome or the, the byproduct of the gospel message. One of the outcomes of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, of the veil in the temple being torn in two. It talks about how we who are in Christ now have access to the throne room because of the veil tearing into because of what Jesus has done. He made a new way to the Father. The old sacrificial system in the Old Testament was done away with, the law was fulfilled. And this passage tells us that we can confidently now go before the Father without any fear, without any worry, without any shame. And so that that's what this song's about and um, hope you enjoy. 
done with my Into the holy place. 
church. Welcome. Glad that you all are here to worship with us today. If you're new, welcome. If you're joining us online, also welcome. Uh, it's so good to, to gather as the saints and be part of, of the church, right? And so we're excited that you're here. If you are new, make sure you stop by our Welcome Center. Uh, you probably passed it on your way in. There you'll find all kinds of information about the church, uh, ways to get plugged in. You can talk to a pastor, learn about our small groups, even volunteer for ministry. So make sure you stop by there and get any questions that you have answered. Uh, you'll see in front of you, unless of course you're in the front row, uh, there is our connect cards. And in those connect cards, uh, it's just the best way for you to communicate with us. So. If you have any questions about anything, please uh, write that in the comments section and you can fill all that information out and stay connected. Now, speaking of being connected, it's been a while since we've been able to do this and we're excited to do it, but we are going to have a Get Connected luncheon. It's going to be March 20th. It's 11.45 to 1 p.m. And if you've been here for a while and you would like to get more connected, 
show up, hang out, uh, ask questions, meet our staff pastors, get introduced to our vision of the church, uh, kind of learn a little bit more of the why behind why we gather every Sunday. So that's uh, March 20th from 11.45 to 1 p.m. Uh, we do ask that in order to help us prepare, you do RSVP, and you can do that on the Connect card by writing Get Connected on that card. Uh, we are also having our men's breakfast. Uh, we started announcing this a little bit ago, but we finally have more information. So it's uh, Saturday, March 5th from 8.30 a.m. till 10.30 a.m. Uh, so all men that are 15 years of age or older are invited. We do ask again that you register for this event as well. It's uh, Wednesday, March, by Wednesday, March 2nd, so we can plan for food. Uh, there's a link that you can sign up at. Uh, that will be available in the Bible app. If you go into the Bible app and you hit on events, and select today, you'll find that link and you can register right there. Um, we'd love to see you there. We're gonna have a home-cooked meal. Some of the elders will lead a panel discussion to help us in our walk as men. Uh, we'd love your input and help any uh, ideas you have for future dates as well. So make sure you sign up for that and we'd love to see you there. So that's all we have for announcements, but we wanted to take just a second as a church um, and I'm sure most of you are aware there's some pretty serious events uh, unfolding the last couple of days in Ukraine. And as a kingdom-bound body of believers, we believe that prayer changes things. Um, so we'd like to spend some time praying for those in Ukraine. Our church has a long and personal history with Ukraine, actually. We helped plant a church in Kiev uh, in 1995. And if you've spent any time with our church, you know that we, we have a lot of ministry partners. One of them specifically is OWR. Um, and the president and founder, Doug Riggle, has provided an update. And so he said at Jeremiah's Hope, the, which is one of the orphanages in Ukraine, they've moved all the kids into the basement and they've, uh, they're trying to take them further west. Because they have to buy everything they need, their biggest need is financial resources. They do have a farm on the grounds and they grow most of their food, but obviously they weren't able to bring a lot of that food with them. Recently, a missile flew over the camp uh, on its way to the capital city of Kyiv. Uh, there's some ministry partners that he's heard from there as well, and they've been hanging out in bomb shelters, uh, really just trying to stay safe, and they're just doing their best to stay out of harm's way. So some specific ways that you can pray as our body of believers is continued safety for the children in Jeremiah's Hope, additional financial resources for Jeremiah's Hope as they're moving further west for safety, uh, pray for children and the other programs, um, specifically ones that aren't residential, meaning that the kids still live with their family members in the surrounding villages, and of course pray that Ukrainians uh, won't uh, give in to Russia again because it's not looking hopeful. So. Let's just take a second um, and quiet our hearts and, and just take a second to pray for Ukraine as a, as a body of believers. Now, Father God, your word tells us that if we cry out to you, you'll heal this land. Your, your word also tells us that we as believers are called to be peacemakers. And so, so many of us are unavailable to, to get over there to be boots on the ground. We, we send up prayers and hopes uh, that your Holy Spirit would, would just reign supreme. Father, we pray that there would be communication, that cooler heads would prevail, and that your name be glorified. Father, we pray that you would protect your children as you love them so much, and, and whatever we are able to do as, as a, a body of believers, Lord, we pray that we're able to do that. 
and ultimately, Lord, that you would just continue to build your kingdom. Father, we love you. We pray for safety for children and families. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Wow. It is a heavy time in the world, is it not? And it's uh, times like this that uh, we need to draw near to the Lord. And so I hopefully you'll continue. And I know you have been. It's not like I'm here Sunday morning. Hey, guys, you should pray. This is a praying body of Christ here. And uh, I know that you guys have been lifting up that whole situation. And uh, I just realize that it's just, you know, it's not, not just about Ukraine. It's about Russia, too. The people, all the people are God's people. And, and we want to pray for uh, breakthroughs there and uh, for peace. So, um, well, good morning. My name's Rich. I'm the family pastor here, if you're new. And uh, good morning to those of you watching online. Um, it truly has been a, a very tough week in the world, hasn't it? So um, apologies for maybe making kind of a hard shift here to kind of move into our message. But, you know, as we just think about uh, Lindworth here, you know, there are a lot of things happening here uh, at church, at Linworth. Last Saturday, we had our first Hispanic service. Uh, with today, it's going to be beginning of the regular services at 1 o'clock, which you are uh, welcome to attend. Uh, we had our first week of Emotional Healthy Spirituality course, which was great. We had about uh, 80 people show up to that, and we had a great kickoff. Uh, Chris and Nick were able to attend a pastor's conference uh, in Miami, and they worked on their TAN. Not so much Chris, not so much Nikki. Well, they tried anyways. But um, we have a men's breakfast coming up next Saturday. And if you haven't signed up for it yet, we have 52 guys coming. So we'd like to see that bump up to about 75. That would be awesome. So make sure you get signed up because we need to know how much food to cook. We have life groups meeting all during the week. We have some Bible studies happening. Small groups of men getting together. Small groups of women getting together. We have midweek gospel-centered fitness class. Our middle schoolers are meeting on Wednesday nights and our high schoolers get together on Saturday nights. Uh, most Friday mornings, the pastors are getting together and praying and working through uh, things of the church. I'll just call it church stuff, all right? Technical term there. And pastors' wives are getting together to pray and encourage one another, as well as many other things that are happening uh, here at Linworth. Not negating that uh, um, there are issues and challenges here and um, that there are pressures that need to be worked out and that present themselves. But as I think about it overall, considering all that has transpired this last couple of years with COVID and everything entering in, um, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. We're in a pretty uh, good place. We're not in a perfect place, but we're in a pretty good place. And so in this section of First Kings that we are in this morning, um, in a vaguely similar way, Israel was in a pretty good place. Not that it's going to last, as we will uh, come to find out in the, the next few chapters here. But as Pastor, uh, Pastor Nick um, noted in the first message a couple weeks ago, First King picks up where Second Samuel um, leaves off, where Israel was knighted under uh, King David. King David appoints his son Solomon to rule after him. And then as we saw last week on Pastor Chris's message, he talked about uh, wisdom. Solomon's blessed with wisdom. And up until this point, he's exercised it in a, in a very fruitful way. 
And then in chapter five, he is charged with building the temple to God in Jerusalem. And so this section of scripture focuses on the building of the temple. And we're gonna, it's, it's actually chapter five through nine, chapter nine, verse six. We have lots of chunks of scripture, parts of it that I'm gonna read. We're not gonna throw it up on the screen. There's just too much and too many slides on that there. So, but uh, also it's way too much to read through the whole thing. It would take the entire service, all those chapters there. But um, I wanna give you kind of a helicopter view through chapter seven, five through seven, and then we're gonna pick it up in chapter eight. Uh, so, but before we go any further, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do uh, plead for peace um, in the world, and specifically right now in, uh, in the Ukrainian situation. And Father, this morning I pray that you would meet us here. Lord, we know that you are here, uh, that your presence is here. Lord, I pray you would speak to us through your word, that you would encourage us to realize how much you want to be with us always. Lord, I pray that uh, this truth would come out and that in that we would draw near to you on a moment by moment and day to day basis. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, okay. All right, so chapter five kind of giving you this overview here, talks about the preparations for the, uh, the building of the temple. So, you know, you can, if you want, you want to go and turn your uh, Bibles or your devices to 1 Kings, starting in chapter five. Um, preparations for the building of the temple. And so there's gathering of supplies. There's all this manpower, manpower that has to come together. Hiram, the king of Tyre, supplied him with all the timber and cedar and uh, cypress that he desired, so all kinds of wood. Then there's 30,000 men that were drafted and they were sent out 10,000 uh, each month, rotating them through to help. 70,000 burden bearers. I wanted to be one of those guys. You want to be one of those guys? 70,000 burden bearers. 80,000 stone cutters. And so um, the temple begins to be built. And then along with that, there's like 3,300 chief officers, I think it says. So it's a very organized uh, amount of people working on the temple. And so it, it goes on and describes how it's built. And there's just particulars, like, you know, one thing was that it had windows with recessed frames. Bet you didn't know that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how particular, we're gonna get into a little more of that, but, you know, we're thinking about doing just like this little small remodel project on our house and um, adding some windows. And I think they're recessed windows. I don't know, somebody can probably tell me. Am I putting in recessed windows? I don't know. I was hoping one of my architect or builder friends would just save me at that point. But I'm assuming we're putting in recessed windows, okay? But um, so right around the middle of chapter 6, verse 11, God gives Solomon a charge and a, and a promise. And so I'm going to read 1 Kings 6, 11 through 13. That's page 285 in your pew Bibles. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. In other words, I will be in your presence. 
And so this is a building with a promise. And then into chapter six, so Solomon built the house of the Lord, the temple, and he finished it. Verse 14, basically kind of the outside of the temple. Um, and then it goes into all kinds of details. It talks about all types of material that he used. The chapter continues with the description of the interior, the inner sanctuary, detail after detail after detail. Um, and then there's this weird pause where Solomon then builds his own amazing palace in chapter seven. It's huge. It's bigger than the temple. It took him 13 years to build it. And then we jump back into the temple furnishings, uh, verse 13, seven, uh, in, right around 13. And once again, absolute detail. It's amazing. And, and, and everything that is described has a meaning. And it's not just for decoration here. So see if you can uh, keep up with me here. For example, verse 17 here, 1 Kings 17 through 20, there were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work for the capitals on the tops of the pillars, a lattice for the one capital and a lattice for the other capital. Likewise, he made pomegranates in two rows around the one lattice to cover the capital that was on the top of the pillar. And he did the same with the other capital. Now the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars in the vestibule were all of lily work, four cubits. The capitals were on two pillars and also above the rounded projection, which was beside all the lattice work, there were 200 pomegranates in two rows all around. And so with the other capital, all right, did you follow? <laughs> it was fun, good, good. So pomegranates, right? Yeah, so um, there's, one of the interpretations for the pomegranates is that the Jewish tradition teaches that the pomegranate is a symbol for righteousness because it is said to have 613 seeds that correspond with the 613 mitzvot or commandments of the Torah. So every part, of this planned out has meaning to it. So when you do read through that and you get bogged down, just think this, it's, it's in there for a reason. And so the end of chapter seven, verse 51 tells us that all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And so the temple is built and then they kind of got to work with uh, uh, more of the interior. Then in chapter eight, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, uh, we pick it up where the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple. And according to one commentary, up until this point in the history of, of Israel, God was not connected or in a sense was not associated with any particular place. Um, what he had done is he had manifested himself in different places, in, uh, in visions, in a burning bush, in a pillar of fire, on the mountaintop, in the tabernacle, and with the Ark of the Covenant. But until now, there wasn't any established building place where his people could point and say, yeah, this is the house of God and that's where I'm going to go. And so that all changed with Solomon here. Actually, it was his father David's desire to build the temple, uh, but he wasn't able to do that. And so before Solomon was even born, uh, we will see in scripture that God told David that you're going to have a son, that you're going to name him Solomon and he will build a house for my name, a command for God's will. Now, I, when I read that, I thought, man, and if you were having a child, you know how, you know, husband and wife get together, they try to figure out what, what is the name of our child gonna be? And uh, wouldn't it be great if God just said, okay, this one, Frank, Louise, you know, and he just gives you a name, you don't have to wrestle through it, so. But in this case, David knew what the name of his son was gonna be. So look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses six 
through 10, page 374 in your pew Bibles, 1 Chronicles 22, 6 through 10. So that's after 2 Kings. So we have the first and second Samuel, we have the Kings, and then we have Chronicles. And so it's a little tricky because Chronicles being after 1 and King, what King, 1 and 2 Kings, what it does, it talks of some of the history under David and Solomon. So it kind of talks back to some of the things that had taken place. Um, so it's working backwards a little bit. And the books mostly focus on the history of Judah, but um, I just wanted to mention too that we're not gonna go into 2 Samuel, but um, there we also see God's promise to David, where he tells David through the prophet Nathan, Nathan is talking to him that his offspring will build a house for uh, his God's name, and that's in verse 13, and that God would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then one more thing before I read uh, 1 Chronicles 22 here. And then also when we uh, uh, read some more of 1 Kings. As we read, I want you to pay attention to how or what the name of the temple is recorded as or characterized as or um, and, and just the words that are used for it. Uh, we just know it as Solomon's temple. So yeah, it's the temple, Solomon's temple or the first temple. And that's how uh, we relate to it. Okay, so here we go. First Chronicles 22, six, pay attention. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, and here's the background here of David charging Solomon to build the temple. My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish his royal throne of Israel forever. And so we see this come true as David was not able to build the temple. And then we see God's truth and his prophetic voice playing out in Solomon's life. He, appointed, he was appointed king after David's death, let alone um, being born and named Solomon, right? But also of God bringing peace and rest to him. So let's, let's pick up the narrative in 1 Kings chapter 5. So we're going to move back to 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'll just give you a second there. Remember, pay attention to what the temple is being called, if anything, here. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare with which the enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There it is. There is neither adversary nor misfortune, meaning there's probably you know, no earthquakes or famines or anything weird going on. It was just nice. 
And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. So in the verses that, that I've read so far, what would you say is the name of the temple or how is it being portrayed? House of Yahweh, house of the name. You got it, you got it, you got it. Okay, message over, you can go home. All right, no. right. And so it's, not, it's just not God's temple. It's very specific in so many different places you should build um, to the name of the Lord my God um, uh, for the name of the Lord, a house for my name. And so um, in almost every place we read about the temple, it is described as a temple for the name of the Lord. It's how David described it. It's how Solomon described it. It's how God referred to the temple as the temple for the name of the Lord. And so, so what does it matter? What's the difference here? Well, a couple of things. Um, what it did is it drew a, a pretty firm distinction between all the other types of temples that were uh, from uh, pagan nations, that when they would build it and they would name it. Uh, that specific God name or whatever it was. And so in the pagan nations, this is what it was. They thought that their gods actually lived in that building. And once they built that thing and they're in there and they were just there. And so they were trapped. They couldn't get them out. They contained them. And then secondly, we know that, that um, a temple, it cannot contain God, right? It can't do that. He is what we call omnipresent. One of the attributes, one of the fancy words we give for for God, meaning that God is everywhere. He transcends time and place. He cannot be confined. Solomon even said in 2 Chronicles 2, 6, go back to the 2 Chronicles, but who was able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? And so that's a distinction for his name. And somebody called it out. What is his name? It was over here. Yahweh, Yahweh. So in other words, according to theologian Andrew C. Bowling, he said that since no temple can contain God, this temple was to be the dwelling for the name of the Lord. And this temple was built in response to the promise of a dynasty for David and his descendants. So what did happen when Solomon built the temple? It, it, it was indeed built for a purpose. As we will see, the Israelites, they wanted a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant and a place where they could be as close as possible to the presence of God. You know, I wanted to, um, usually when I, when I give a message, I, I, I tell you that it's, it's really kind of weird to live in my mind sometimes when I read scripture. And so I wanted to call this message, if you build it, he will come, right? <laughs> And then I wanted to show a video clip of the Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner in his cornfield and the voice, if you build it, he will come. And uh, so you got a little of that anyways, but you know, that was too high on the corny side of things, so I decided not to call it that, okay? <laughs> and if you haven't seen the movie, it's a wonderful movie. It's, it's a story of, of really a father and son dynamics. And so if, uh, if that's up your... Your alley there. Um, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, 
All right, so I'm gonna give, I gave you a flyover a few minutes ago of chapters five through seven. And at the end of seven, verse 51, it says, thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And then we move into chapter eight. The temple is built. He gathers all of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the leaders to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. And so let's pick it up. Chapter eight, verse one. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion, which is Zion. Verse three, and all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark and they brought up the Ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent, the priests and the Levites brought them up. Then into verse six, when the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, in the most holy place. And then to verse 10, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. God's presence. This according to Paul, our house, an Old Testament scholar said this, it was the cloud of God's glory that led Israel into the wilderness in Exodus 16. It was the cloud that filled the tabernacle when Moses dedicated that earlier worship center, Exodus 40. It is known as the Shekinah of God. Sam Storm calls it the visible, Shekinah glory is the visible manifestation of the splendor of God among his people. And that's how he showed his presence. The cloud of glory indicates that there is the, the, the reality that the Lord is there, that he is present. We see that it's showing that, the, that his presence uh, for the nation of Israel protects, that it guides in Exodus, in the stories that we see there. And so in that moment, what I really wanted to get to, in that moment with the Israelites, Israel receives the blessing of God himself, his presence, and to be in his presence. And they so desired this. And so in their minds, they had this permanent place where they could go bring their sacrifices and be in the presence of the Lord. So in the message description, you may have gotten this with uh, uh, vision clips. Um, I wrote this. I said, is there anything more astonishing than the fact that the creator of all that is wants to be with us? The one who spoke into existence the vastness of the cosmos, the majesty of earth, the complexity of mankind, down to the tiniest unseen creatures of the ocean, wants to be with us. From the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle, to Solomon's temple, to the very last chapter of the Bible, even into eternity, God has desired and made a way to be with his people. And that means with us. Friends, that excites me. That gives me goosebumps. Our God, our creator, our savior, his whole desire is to be with us. And he created us to be with him. And I want that to penetrate your heart and to excite you. God's desire has always been to dwell among his people. He created us to be with him and he wants to be with us. 
And what is beautiful about that is that you can see this truth weaved throughout the scriptures from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelations. God is speaking, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to be in your presence because I like you and I love you and I created you for a reason. You are mine. You are special. There's so much I want you to know about who I am. I want you to live this life here on earth in a way, yes, that pleases me, but I want to give you instruction on how to live this life. I want to prepare you to be with me for all of creation. And the way that I'm going to do that is I am going to dwell with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to be in your presence. Will you allow me? Will you allow me this? This is a gift to you. Will you sit before me? Will you read my word? Will you hear my voice? Will you connect your heart to my heart? Will you allow me to be present in your life? Will you break your pride? God says, we get trapped in so many ways when we try to come before the Lord. And we make all kinds of excuses because, you know, we just, whatever, we just sinned. We just did something that was, you know, we just feel it's just terrible. There's no way God wants to, I can't pray to God right now. Well, you know what? Yes, you can. You think God is like, he's not tiny. He's got big shoulders, huge heart. He created you. He knows you. He knew you before you were born. He knows your thoughts before. Are you afraid of God? Are you afraid to be in his presence? Because you might feel dirty? Might feel shame? God say, no, 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 no. Come to me, come to me, come to me. I want to dwell with you. I want to be in your presence. Will you allow this, please? Talking about God desiring to be and to dwell with us and be in our presence. I mean, um, I got a list from a couple of different sources. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden before their, their sin resulted in, in banishment from God's presence. God gave Moses intricate details for the tabernacle and the ark in order to establish his presence. We just talked about that. Um, God's promise to revisit his people, establish them once again, fulfilled in Jesus, which we'll talk about. And then at the end of history, when all things are set right, we read this, Revelations. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelations 21, three, Genesis chapter one, God wants to dwell with us. The end of the Bible, Revelations, God wants to dwell with you and be in your presence. And so what does this look like for us? You know, we're removed a thousand years from this temple. How do we get the experience of the presence of God? There's no grand temple that we go to and get in a plane, and go to Jerusalem and go to this temple or whatever and, and, and oh, I wonder if God's in there or not. Mm -mm. Tim Keller answered it this way. 
He said, when the Babylonians came and overran Israel, and the temple was destroyed, and they were carted off into exile, Ezekiel made a terrific prediction and prophecy. What he said was, someday there's gonna be a final temple. Someday there will be a temple so great, the prophet said, that the glory of the Lord will fill the whole temple. Everybody in it will experience the glory of God. Where's the final temple? Where's the place where you walk in and it's not just that the glory of God is back there, but the glory of God is all around? How can we finally get back into the garden? What is the final temple? Where is it? Jesus shows up and says, I am he. I am the ultimate sacrifice, therefore I am the ultimate temple. Amen? Yeah. So without getting into the intricacies of the theology of Ezekiel's prophecy here, uh, what Keller says at the end of the statement is true, that Jesus is the ultimate temple. The New Testament teaches us um, that Jesus is the true temple of God. It's Jesus, it's always Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It starts back there in those little rooms and, and cross crew. What's the answer? <coughs> Jesus, that's right. How so? Well, let's check this out. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so the word dwelt there, dwelt among us, you know, literally means to tabernacle, to pitch a tent, or to live in a tabernacle, to be tabernacled with us. It's pointing back to the Old Testament when God's glory was manifested in the tent of, of Moses, in the portable tabernacle that they brought along, and eventually in Solomon's temple, which we're talking about this morning, as we have learned. And we know this because just a little bit later, in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Jesus says this, and this is the story where Jesus cleanses the temple and he gets a little angry there and does a few things. But verse 19 says this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, well, it's taken 46 years to build the temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken that he was the temple. See, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that Jesus is the true temple of God and that as his followers, as we will come to find out, are also the temple of God. God dwells in his people through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, which means that he is present in you all the time, every day, every minute, every second? 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He is telling us that we are now priests who offer sacrifices to God. God's people no longer have to go to uh, and stand outside of a temple and be there. God now meets us as we gather in his name. That's how he's built us up. The presence of God is manifested where his people are. Since the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, resides in our heart, 
He's here, folks. He is present. And because of Jesus, we have full access to the presence of God. I don't know if you can't tell I'm excited about that. And I hope you are too. Because of what, we have access to presence because of why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, right? Yeah. He had to do something, something powerful, something crazy. He had to die for us. He'd been crucified. Mark 15, 37, 39. He's being crucified. He utters out this, you know, breathing his last, his voice. And, and what happened? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies is now fully opened in Christ. That old way is removed. We can be in the presence of God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we can be in Jesus's presence. He created that opportunity. He created the path. He created the road, the place for us to be there by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Jesus is saying that the only temple you need to worship, God is him. You enter into God's presence through him. And then it just keeps getting better, guys. I mentioned this just a minute ago, but um, if we come to... Jesus as our temple, God actually makes us his temple. Ephesians 2.20. Okay, church, this is you guys, church, okay, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, that's us guys, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sam Storm puts it this way. The point is that the temple of the Old Covenant was a type or foreshadowing of the glory of Christ. It was the place where the law of Moses was preserved, of which now Jesus is the fulfillment. It was the place of revelation and relationship where God met and he spoke to his people. Now we hear God and see God and meet God in Jesus. It was the place of sacrifice where forgiveness of sins was obtained. For that now, what do we go? Where do we go to? We go to Jesus. Israel worshiped and celebrated in the temple in Jerusalem. We now worship in spirit and in truth regardless of wherever we are. To meet God, to talk with God, to worship God, you no longer come to a building, you no longer come to a tent. You don't have to come Sunday morning to church. Well, I know God's over there, 5400 Linworth Road, comes to Ohio 43235. No, he's not. <laughs> I mean, yes, he is, sorry. <laughs> but he's with you all the time. To meet God, to talk with God, to worship God, you no longer come to a building or a tent or a structure made with human hands. 
you come to Jesus. Jesus is the temple of God, but the story doesn't end there. We, the church, are the body of Christ and therefore constitute the temple in which God is pleased to dwell. The Shekinah of Yahweh now abides permanently and powerfully in us through the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful, folks. It's, it's actually astonishing. It's actually extremely humbling. So what do we do with that? Um, I think we worship him, don't we? I think we thank him. I think um, we be with him. And um, one of the main components of the emotionally um, healthy spirituality class is learning how to be still and how to enjoy the presence of Jesus, cultivating a communion with him every single day. And then perhaps something else, another application. In chapter eight, Solomon is praying. He's, he's, he's praying over, and you know, if you read your Bible, looks there, it says he's given a benediction, right? In verse 60, offering a prayer for the nation that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. So not, it was built, the temple there was also built so that everybody would know who God is, who uh, the Lord is, of uh, the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. The temple in Israel represented what God wanted to do in, the old, in all of the earth, what he wanted to do. He wanted to spread his name. He wanted people to know, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles to know, not only to Israel, but among all the nations. And if we looked in Habakkuk 2.14, his words might be fulfilled by this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. So let me ask you this question. If we are the temple of God today, then we are to represent God to the world, aren't we? What should our identity as God's temple communicate to the nations, to our friends, our neighbors, our family? We are now the temple of God on earth. God indwells in us. God fills us. God called us. God chose us for the purpose of representing him on earth and spreading his fame to all the nations. Now listen to what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, our last verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, glorious light. I think what Peter was saying here is that we are chosen for a mission. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for the whole earth to know the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's respond by, by worshiping the Lord. Bring your heart there. If you, if you feel like kneeling, feel like raising your hands, standing. Don't worry about anybody else. Let the Lord minister to you. You are in his presence. And so let's give back worship to him. Uh, you might not believe me on this, but I had no idea Rich was going to teach through uh, Hebrews 10 today. Um, 
And so that would be cool to sing Draw Near again. Uh, we sang it earlier before the message, um, but we're just going to sing it again here uh, as a way of responding to the message as well and responding to God's word.
sure how to to be with him maybe you're a little bit of afraid there's things in your life that for some reason you think are so big that God can't overcome them he can let's be in the presence of God let me pray with you. Let's, let's pray together. Come on down. And we'll, we'll pray through those things. We'll pray together and celebrate God's presence. We'll pray together and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross so that we could be always present with him. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know it's a challenge to come down front and um, to be a little bit vulnerable, but let's be the body of Christ. Let's embrace this. And, and let's pray for one another. Um, and or just grab somebody next to you. Ask them just to pray for you. Ask that he would be with you. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm done. So, um, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, lift up the Lord one more time. And I always um, read Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It's just a blessing. So raise your hands. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
and give you peace. And I do want us to say one more, one thing. Even through these songs, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's been chasing you with arms open wide. Maybe this morning's that morning you allowed him to catch you and you begin a new life. And so if that's you, you can be in the presence of God. Come on down and we'll pray for you. Amen? All right, have a great day in the Lord.